Hello, and welcome to episode 33 of the Coin Press Podcast. I'm Luke Willis. Today, I'm doing something a little bit different. Typically, I have a guest on the show. I have for the past 32 episodes, but this is the first time I am going solo. So today, we are talking about some very interesting developments over at Coinos. Uh, for any long-term listeners, you know I'm a fan. Um, I started the Coin Press kind of on the back of Coinos. Uh, feeding off of its team and, and having interviews with the the core Coinos group team uh, initially with the podcast. And now I am going to dig into the new unified white paper. So this version of the white paper has been out for uh, a few weeks, maybe a month now. And uh, I'd like to just go through it and explain some of the concepts for people who are new to the project. So if you're on coinos.io and you pop open the white paper you're gonna see a lot of <laughs> a lot of words that are complicated um, because typically blockchains are complicated pieces of software and we as developers really like using accurate words and oftentimes that means that the, the word choices we make are not super accessible um, and just to be clear, I'm not a member of the Quinos group. I am not involved in the development of Quinos. I am just a, a bystander. I do know uh, one member of the Quinos group from college back in the day. Uh, Michael Vandenberg is one of their blockchain architects and founders, and um, he's a great guy. So I, I found Quinos through that relationship and have been hooked for around a year now. Uh, so yeah, I've been putting out this podcast and yeah like I said let's let's just dig into the white paper so Coinos is a free-to-use DAP platform with a provably egalitarian fast and feeless digital currency <laughs> uh, so right off the bat the title is it's heavy right understanding what this means um, so if you are not familiar uh, they, they get into all the detail below, but let me just break down what this means here. So a DAP platform is a decentralized application platform. And basically that's just saying it's a blockchain where you can deploy DAPs. Um, so historically with Bitcoin um, and then other single purpose blockchains, the you couldn't really run your own DAPs. The, the blockchain itself was for one DAP. Ethereum kind of changed that narrative where with the addition of smart contracts and the ability to code and deploy dApps, it's a platform where anybody can come in and launch a decentralized application without needing to spin up their own blockchain. So that's an excellent enhancement over uh, you know, the design of Bitcoin and, and other uh, blockchains for developers. You know, it's a very specific thing. The, Single-purpose blockchains still have a place in the world, but for rapid iteration, the ability to create things like NFTs and you know ERC-20 tokens and all these different types of, uh, of dApps that we have today, uh, having smart contracts allows us as a society of blockchain developers to move much faster. So... Ethereum and all of the other chains that have come after Ethereum, um, Solana, uh, Avalanche, any chain that has smart contracts or similar design is fee-based. 
because that's the that's the design we were given with Bitcoin. It made sense. Um, it was adapted into gas with Ethereum, and that model is just kind of carried on. But that's not the only way to do it. So free to use is the model for Coinos. Um, we'll get into how that works with the mana um, later on in the paper. But yeah, that's that's the key innovation of what is uh, meaningful to the end user. Then Coinos is also it has a provably egalitarian, fast and feeless digital currency. Fast, you know, high transactions per second. Feeless, uh, that's the free to part, free to use part again. And provably egalitarian. <laughs> that one uh, is a is a bit of a a, a wordy. <laughs> uh, I'm not a huge fan of the word choice there. Provably egalitarian. The point is that it's fair and it's designed to be fair. So anybody can use this currency. It's an open market. Um, you know, no, it's completely permissionless, and that's really the point of it. So let's dig in a little bit further. So like we talked about with Bitcoin, uh, introducing the concept of blockchain, Ethereum adapting that with smart contracts. Now Coinos builds on top of that with feelessness, and so. Really, this and everything else we're going to see as we go through this paper, it all comes down to accessibility. And uh, I think at one point, the, the Quenos team had the tagline, um, accelerating decentralization through accessibility. And that just means that they're pushing the world further and faster toward a decentralized environment, meaning no centralized authorities uh, who are responsible for your money, responsible for what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do, um, responsible for how you get paid and how you get taxed and all these things um, through accessibility. Uh, and I don't personally believe that in the near term we're going to see blockchain overtake like governments. <laughs> I think that's a bit of a, uh, an excessive statement, um, and I don't think that the Coinos group is saying that either. I think that the, the point is just to open up the possibility for more people and more types of applications to use decentralized infrastructure without worrying about uh, how hard it is for people to come in and use the blockchain behind the, behind the scenes. So, uh, I want to focus on this one sentence here in at the end of uh, this part of the white paper. The end result would be a general purpose blockchain that was not just another Ethereum competitor, but the first genuine alternative to Ethereum. And that's, I, I think, key. Where people look at all the different blockchains that are out there, and we have flame wars of, no, Solana's better, no, you know, whatever it is. Uh, Ethereum is great. It's a really great design, and they're They've done a ton of work that's really benefited um, people in that ecosystem. But the, all of the alternatives that have been built are kind of copycats. You know, they, they have their own specific things that they change here and there, um, things that they think are more important, uh, even better technical design on certain things. But ultimately, it's kind of the same idea over, just reskinned and, and played in a different way. Coinos, with the model of mana, which again, we're going to get into that, 
it's it's an honest to goodness alternative and it's not really just meant to be another all one that you can choose alt one that you can choose and and it's you know exactly the same thing but maybe a little bit faster maybe a little bit easier to upgrade maybe this maybe that it is an alternative and it is distinct enough while supporting a lot of the same capabilities that i think we're going to see people using both and it's not just going to be i'm an ethereum maxi i'm a coinos maxi We'll see some of that too, but I think there'll be people that are in both camps and happy about that. So, Coinos was launched using the Coin Token, and uh, that's Coin with a K. And the 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 key with Coin is that on every other network where it is, you know, the main token, Ether on Ethereum, um, Sol on Solana, and, and all these others, they are gas tokens. You pay a portion of your balance every time you want to do something on the blockchain. With Coinos, you never lose your coin. When you hold it, it it's kind of like a staking mechanism, but it's automatic and frictionless. So the, the shtick with mana is that is a property of coin. People always come in and say, well, is there another token that's not coin that I'm using to pay for gas? Um, but it's not. It's just a, a property that's tracked in your wallet of basically how much coin you have in your balance. So if you have 100 coin, then you have 100 mana. And doing anything on the blockchain costs mana. So that's really the, the distinction. When we look at the coin token, once you have it, you never lose it. And that coin token, what you can buy right now only on Uniswap and only for less than a month now because the, the snapshot has been announced for October 31st, which is this step before we go to mainnet, probably in December. The, uh, the token that you can buy right now is an Ethereum ERC20 token, and it was launched with a proof-of-work uh, mining system. And anybody who saw the announcement that coin was going to be mineable and decided to run the miner and put their ETH in a wallet to pay the gas fees for doing that mining, um, everybody had a fair shot to get the token. So where every other project does an ICO or, or something like that, where the team retains you know, 10%, 20%, 40% more of the token, for marketing spend, for paying the team's salaries, for all these things, Coin was first come, first serve. And even the Coinos group, the people who are developing, or have developed at this point, the blockchain, um, they weren't automatically allotted any tokens. They had to run the miner just like everybody else. So very similar to the, the Bitcoin launch. Um, main difference there being that with Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto has a huge stake that we can see and observe because he's the only miner for, or basically only miner for a long time. And now, uh, with Coinos, there were more people involved, so you can look at the token distribution across wallets and get a rough sense for what percentage uh, individuals may own. But we still don't know exactly how much any one person owns because, as you know, you can have multiple wallets. Wallets are free, so you know the the Coinos group could have a sizable stake if they've run 
the miner themselves on a lot of different wallets. Um, we don't know. So buyer beware on that front. But it was a fair launch, and that is um, important. And I think if for people who are coming from a blockchain background and recognize the importance of that, um, it is a good thing. So happy to talk about that more. You can always reach out to me. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Luke M. Willis, or at the Coin Press, and I'm always happy to talk about these things. So, uh, so that's the Coin Token and how it was launched, and we're we're getting down and closer to mana. It's constantly hinted at throughout the paper, so I'm I'm uh, I'm getting into it a little bit here. The uh, the trick is that transfers or running smart contracts or anything with your coin token is that you don't have to spend your coin. I said that already, but the the next bit that again we're going to get into more later but you don't even need to acquire your own coin tokens to use the blockchain. And that's because of something called mana delegation, um, or you know, it's basically authorizing other people to use your mana. And uh, I believe we'll see dApps come up that make this a lot easier for people coming in to use the dApp in a decentralized way without ever having to buy tokens because the dApp can own their own coin and pay the mana costs for everybody without ever losing balance. So even on another blockchain that's gas-based, you maybe could build a dApp that pays the gas fees for people so they can interact with it for free. Um, but that gets pretty scary because you're losing balance every time somebody uses it. On Coinos, the worst that can happen is that your coin gets locked up for five days if somebody really comes in and abuses your, your contract. Um, so, it's not the end of the world. Alright, so, the coin token is inflationary and deflationary. So, the this is how it can be fee-less, right? Because on other blockchains, there is inflation. New tokens are created as block rewards for every block. But there's also tokens that are being spent as fees... And, the, and at least a portion of those fees are distributed to the block producer as well. So that's how you incentivize people to run their computers and participate in the blockchain. So there's always inflationary forces there on, on just about any blockchain. But Coinos doesn't have the fees, so the only way that uh, block producers get paid is through inflation. Um, so at mainnet launch, it is set up to be a 2% inflation rate each year. So right now there's a shy, excuse me, shy 100 million tokens. Um, so we would see roughly 102 million after one year of mainnet. <laughs> and then the deflationary part of it comes with the consensus algorithm, proof of burn. And we'll get into that as well, but the, the deflationary part of it is temporary. So it can fluctuate. You'll see more or less burn um, at any given time, more tokens being destroyed to participate in consensus and then recreated when blocks are produced. Um, but it'll, it's, a, it's a temporary hit, right? Because all of the coin that is burned to participate will be rewarded back over time. So deflationary in the short term, always inflationary over a long enough period of time. All right. So getting into a little bit further down, proof of burn 
eliminates the need for meaningless computational work. Bonus blocks can be produced rapidly, allowing the coin token to be both feeless and fast. So this is honestly, I think, one of the coolest things about uh, consensus algorithms like proof of stake, proof of burn, um, and others that are not proof of work. Proof of work is fantastic, and uh, Bitcoin pioneered that. It's a, it's a fantastic algorithm, but it is energy inefficient, and it requires a lot of computation power to participate. And so that means that we're spending a lot of network resources on a lot of different computers just to produce any one block. With Coinos, uh, they've changed that to limit how much computation power it, it needs. So you can have one computer running and uh, it, your your hash power, which is how you measure it with, uh, with proof of work, is all virtual. So if you burn your coin to participate, then you get virtual hash power. And so if you have a, a larger balance of this token, VHP, virtual hash power, then you have a greater chance of producing a valid block. And that is what allows us to be fast. So as you're participating in proof of burn, you're able to devote most of your resources on your not even that powerful computer to processing transactions and um, you know <laughs> actually getting smart contracts running for people and, and all of these things. So it is it's fast on testnet right now. I don't think we have a benchmark of exactly how fast, but it's faster than Ethereum. Um, the team hasn't prioritized speed as the number one thing. So I don't expect it to be as fast as like blockchains that really, really care about this, right? Um, but it is decentralized and it is secure. So, you know, you make sacrifices here and there. And then over time, the team can add sharding and other scalability uh, practices in a way that's actually a lot easier than it would be on other blockchains. So we'll talk about that right now with forkless upgradability. So the, honestly, I think this is the coolest part about Coinos. Um, as a developer, I get excited about really good design and this is really good design. Um, the mana system and having feeless transactions is really the hook that gets people excited about Coinos. But this, I think, is the long-term improvement over existing blockchains that is really going to set Coinos apart in the long term. So when we talk about forkless upgradability, we're talking about hard forks. If you've ever worked on a blockchain um, or just been involved with one in the, on the sidelines, you're aware of hard forks. Hard forks are just a fact of life. If the blockchain wants to do any kind of upgrade to the system, make a slight change to the software, anything, you basically have to rewrite the code and then send out this new version of the code to everybody. And then everybody who's running the software to participate on the blockchain, they have to download it, they have to start it up with the new version. And so you get this hard fork of human coordination and if people don't adopt the new version, then the blockchain forks and you have the people who are running on the new version and they want to you know, go that route with it and the people who have stuck with the old version. And so you end up with different, uh, basically copies of the exact same blockchain 
from a point in time, and then your community splits over it. So with Koinos, you can still have hard forks. You know, that's it's kind of a, a built-in feature of, of any software, but specifically in decentralized environments, you can you can write a new version of the code and, and send it out to everybody and say, hey, please update. Um, but for to have forkless upgrades, there's a couple key things. Uh, number one is modularity. Uh, even Ethereum, um, uh, not Celsius, uh, Celestia, other blockchains are really looking at this concept of modularity in different ways. And it seems like most of them are looking at separating the execution environment from the consensus layer, and then maybe a little bit more um, you know, separation of concerns here and there. But it's really the idea of instead of having just one big package of code that does everything that is a blockchain, it's different piles of code that do specific roles, and then you can upgrade one of them without needing to tear down everything. So for uh, for Coinos, they've taken this kind of to the logical extreme of let's break down everything into really singular small roles. Uh, and if you've done any software development for businesses outside of blockchain, you've probably seen the idea of microservices. And a microservice is just a really small, self-contained piece of logic. And it runs, and it does one thing, and it does it well. And if you ever wanted to swap that out, it's easy. You just say, I don't want that version, I want a new version, done. Um, so Coinos' microservices are really small. Like even the peer-to-peer -peer communication, that's a microservice. Um, the, the memory, the, the mempool for storing uh, is it blocks or transactions? I, I don't remember. <laughs> Whatever it is you're storing in each of these, uh, you know, typically big pieces of the blockchain, it is it's run in one very isolated environment. And the way they accomplish this is with a, a service bus. So they use RabbitMQ or AMQP as kind of this central uh, layer where all the different microservices talk to this. And they don't need to know anything about other pieces of the blockchain. They just know when I see a message that looks like this, I do this. And then I put this message on there. So they communicate through this bus without needing to know anything about the other microservices. So it's a really smart design there because it allows you to upgrade very specific pieces of the blockchain and change logic without needing to understand anything about the other parts. It also means that normal developers outside of the blockchain world can come in and add functionality to their node on the blockchain just by writing new code and hooking it into AMQP. And so you don't need to know everything about how the blockchain works and, and tying into um, you know, existing code and modifying it for suit your purposes. You just plug in a new thing and it, it, it just works. So it, it's pretty cool that way. Um, so that's the, the key with, with microservices. The, the forklessness happens at the smart contract level. So when you have system logic, like governance, like the consensus algorithm, proof of burn, 
like the the coin contract and the mana system behind that all of these things those are all deployed as smart contracts onto the blockchain so that is key because because those are software uh, changes that happen on the blockchain and not as like part of the software that gets deployed to everybody's computers you can upgrade them without needing to coordinate anybody so that allows you to upload a new version of the consensus algorithm as a new smart contract and then make a proposal through the governance contract that says I want there to be this contract that I just uploaded as the as the new version of consensus and then people vote on it as they're producing blocks just like with Bitcoin they say I want to adopt it or I don't want to adopt it in every block they produce and then over the voting period whichever gets the most votes yes or no that's what happens so those system level permissions if the smart contract if whatever it is you're uploading needs that then you have to propose it and then the community votes on it and then that's the end of it so it allows you to coordinate people without actually needing to do things off chain it's all on chain and so there's no hard forks and that's really key and like I said, you can still have hard forks, but you don't need them for a lot of things, which is great. So, <laughs> digging into to this a little bit more, the reason that's important is because blockchains constantly need to change. If you're familiar with Ethereum, you're aware of the merge that's happening right now, which has been a huge undertaking for, I don't know how long, two years, more. Uh, which is this move from proof-of-work to proof-of-stake. That's a change of the consensus algorithm. And so they've had to do, I believe, a number of hard forks leading up to this. And now there's a, uh, the merge is actually going to happen in the next couple days here. And it's a massive undertaking that's involved a ton of people coordinating lots of effort and lots of money. And uh, it's just been a nightmare for that community. On Coinos, it would literally be upload a new version of the contract, make a proposal, and then wait for the vote to resolve and you're done. So that's a big improvement. And that's why I think that this is really the key enhancement for Coinos, is because if you can iterate and um, innovate faster than your competition, you will win in the long term. And so that's where we're gonna see Coinos take off in the long term compared to these other blockchains. And I think that in the, the mid to long term, a majority of blockchains that are being created will be based off of Coinos and not based off of the EVM anymore. So that's coming. <laughs> Just my opinion though. Um, all right, so moving on, universal language support. So if you're, if you're a developer, this is key. If you're not a developer, not that important to you. Basically, if you're developing a smart contract on um, Ethereum, you have to use Solidity. That is the language. It's not hard to learn, and it works well. So that's not the end of the world. But with Coinos, everything runs on Wasm, WebAssembly. So that means that as long as the language you want to you want to use can compile down to WebAssembly, which is, I think, well, it's a lot of languages um, right now. C++ and um, a version of TypeScript called AssemblyScript are supported. Um, and so all you have to do is write in the, your language of choice, 
and then um, specify what types those are, uh, the, the, the inputs and outputs of your different methods. Uh, and that's done through um, protocol buffers or protobuf. And so that's a really easy file. Uh, for everything I've done, I've just been able to copy somebody else's work and it just worked. So very little you actually have to write there uh, for protobuf typically. Um, and then that's it, you're done. So if you want to write your code, uh, whether that's for a smart contract or a microservice, if you want to write your own microservice, you can write it in whatever language you want, basically. So that's great. Um, giving choice back to developers, I think, is, is an enhancement. Um, we'll see what other languages get supported in the long term, but I'm excited for this. All right, finally getting down to mana. So this is the, the meat and potatoes behind free-to-use blockchain. Um, like I said, gas is no longer part of the, the blockchain. It is mana. And if you're familiar with uh, the, the analogies behind this, gas obviously is a resource. You pay for it. It goes into your gas tank in your car. You drive. It's gone. So you pay for the usage. With mana, uh, if you've ever played a video game, uh, mana is this like renewable resource that you have if you're using magic, right? So you spend mana and then it recharges for the next turn or in the next iteration or it ticks up a little at a time. And that's a really similar experience to what we have here on, uh, on Coinos. You could just as easily use the analogy of like a battery where every coin is a battery that can hold electricity and then when you run out of electricity that battery can be recharged to to refill um, so so that's really the, the the model here when you get coin it already has mana and one critique here is that it makes it sound like coin isn't a fungible token but it is and that's because coin is only transferable and can only leave your wallet if it has mana, if it's full. So that means that all coin is fungible because it's only uh, movable while it's full. So that's the, when I say it's kind of like staking, that's what I mean. When you spend your mana, while it's recharging, that coin is stuck. It cannot leave your wallet. And so that's what allows it to be fungible. That's what allows it to be free. And um, really the trick here is that it still allows for preventing spam. So really the purpose of gas is to prevent network spam. And not really prevent it, it just limits it. Because people don't want to spend uh, their money to, uh, to do something when they only have so much money and then other people have more money. You can't just flood the network because you'll just spend all your money. Um, so you, you really have to game uh, whether or not you want to participate on the network at that cost. There is still a cost with mana on Coinos, but what it is is it's an opportunity cost. You're deciding, do I want to spend my time, my mana, to do this now, or do I want to spend it to do that later? So you have to make decisions on how you want to spend your mana. Um, and you will get it back, and you can uh, do more later, but you can never fully spam the network and abuse it because other people have mana, and they will have rights to network resources as well. So, um, 
the the trick here with uh, with mana is this is actually it's a good design. It's not just you get resources for mana. It's priced by uh, the different resources, and so you get better pricing if the thing you're trying to do uses a lot of compute and all of the other contracts that are getting hit a lot are using a lot of storage, right? So it's uh, memory, CPU, and disk. I believe that's what it is. Um, so, or is it network? <laughs> uh, I should look at the paper again. But anyway, the point is that there's three resources and they're all priced independently. So if you're, uh, if you're concerned about spending a lot of mana on one thing, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything on the network is going to get more expensive. It just impacts that one resource for everybody. So, paying in time, we already talked about how this is a, uh, a recharging thing and you're paying with opportunity cost. So that's good. And this all comes down to the free-to-use aspect. So this is where we have the, the concept of delegating your mana away. So when anybody wants to run a transaction on the blockchain, they specify who the payer is of the mana. And so if I want to use your dApp, then I can specify you as the payer. And if you've authorized, if you've uploaded a contract that says I authorize you know, anybody who wants to use my contract or these specific addresses, or it's, it's really flexible. It's basically like another kind of smart contract where you just say, you can write your own authorized logic of who you want to authorize and under what circumstances. You can tie it to your own token and give it its own concept of mana. Um, <laughs> you could just say anybody who holds an NFT can access as much mana as they want. You could make it like a subscription thing. There's all kinds of things you could do. It's really the sky's the limit. You, you authorize people to use your mana and then they do, and that's it. So people who come into the blockchain where typically on other blockchains they have to set up a, an account with a centralized exchange, they have to do um, KYC, take a picture of yourself, take a picture of your ID, put in your social security number, all that stuff, and then put in money from their bank account and then buy your token and then sometimes wait 10 days to transfer that to a self-custody wallet and then log in to your dApp and you know it's it's a complicated process and for people who have never used a blockchain before it's insurmountable so this using mana and allowing people to use your mana that removes all of those steps all you have to do is come in and say set up a wallet and you could set up a button that just issues a new address um, and whether or not they remember it keep it whatever doesn't matter because all they're going to do is use that as their identity while they use your mana to do something in your dab and so there's no step where you have to go off of the website to do something somewhere else and spend real money it's way way simpler and it's basically in line with like your typical web 2 onboarding experience you spend no money you just enter a username or something and then you know you can issue them nfts you can give them tokens you can let them play the game you can say oh you have another token on the blockchain you can bridge it here for free whatever it is and that is where we 
we get to <laughs> blockchain actually being able to take over a market share from Web 2. Right now, Web 3 is a complicated alternative to Web 2. And people who are not technically savvy are not looking to get into it. Even if they're interested, there's a lot of, of run-up to understand and get to use these things. So I think we're going to see a lot more people coming in and using Coinos um, without having to go through all the complicated steps uh, before that. So they can be a customer of your dApp before they're a customer of the blockchain. That's key. All right, so multidimensionality, this is what I was talking about with uh, the, the different kinds of resources. So where we have mana and your resources being priced, uh, it's bandwidth, storage, and compute. Yeah, so that's like the network cost. So by pricing things differently, you get more efficient pricing um, and people are able to spend less mana overall. Uh, for things that shouldn't really be taxing the network. And so it also encourages more even usage of resources that are available and less usage of resources that are um, heavily taxed. So. All right, moving on. Proof of burn. So proof of burn is uh, it's a lot like proof of stake um, in that you, you basically lock up your tokens, kind of, uh, and then you produce blocks and you get some tokens back. Um, but rather than with proof of stake where you just literally lock it away somewhere and it still exists, with proof of burn, you literally destroy the tokens and you get a different token in exchange. And that's that VHP, virtual hash power, that I was talking about before. And so when you burn coin, you get, um, you get VHP. And so you do this through the proof of burn contract. So you, if you're on the, the command line, you do proof of burn dot burn and your address and how much coin you want to burn. And then that does it. It gives you VHP and you can always get them in a one-to-one -one coin for VHP. This is really flexible because it allows you to have um, on like a, a Uniswap type contract. Um, the, the contract on, uh, on Coinos is called CoinDX or CoinDEX and uh, you can swap coin for VHP. So if you are currently involved in mining and you need a little bit of liquidity, you need to swap your VHP for coin, you can do that. Um, so it's not like there's a permanent lockout period with staking or you know a five year or however long the, the staking period is. You can always get liquidity, but you're probably gonna take a little bit of a hit seeking liquidity because people can always just get VHP for coin one-to-one. -one. So if they want to buy your VHP for coin, you're probably going to have to um, you know, lose a little bit in the process. You, know, you might get 0.99 coin, or depending on how much demand there is, less. Um, so that's the, the ability to burn coin for VHP and then use that VHP to represent your, your virtual hash power, how much basically what your probability is of producing a block and getting rewards, um, you get the efficiency of proof of stake because there's no uh, you know, run your computer a lot. So there's, there's no energy concerns from that perspective. You don't have electricity costing ridiculous amounts uh, as you would with proof of work. But it's, the model is designed on proof of work. 
So where proof of stake is really kind of a new paradigm that you lock up your tokens and then there's a chance you get slashed and there's all these complicated rules of you know when you are producing blocks and participating on the network, whether you get rewards or not. With proof of burn, if you produce a valid block, you get rewards. That's it. So there's no slashing mechanism, there's nothing. Because you've already slashed yourself up front. You burnt your tokens, and then only by doing the right thing can you get your tokens back. <clears throat> so that is that's a really good design because it models proof of work. With proof of work, you spend real money on computers and electricity, and then you earn that money back by mining and getting uh, Bitcoin or whatever it is back into your wallet. So it's you know loss of capital in exchange for new capital produced over time. So proof of burn really models that design of proof of work while still having the efficiency of proof of stake. All right, so one thing that the, uh, the Coinos Group team went through, uh, they are all veterans of Steam. Um, and if you aren't familiar with Steam, it was a social application uh, that, was, that was a blockchain. And now there's Hive, which is basically the same thing, but under new ownership, not ownership, uh, new uh, decentralized ownership. Um, because Steam was bought out by Tron, and Tron is another blockchain, and there were big plans there, but then things got a little bit dicey, and what happened is Tron, or Justin Sun, really, uh, coordinated different centralized exchanges to use their stake of Steam uh, to to vote, <laughs> and so they they influenced the the vote and did an exchange attack to basically take over the network and do whatever they want. So the team had really bad taste in their mouth after that experience, and so proof of burn is really a uh, an attempt to to prevent that sort of thing. Where with Steam and, and anything that's proof of stake, exchanges own an outsized uh, percentage of the token typically but they don't want to lose it for their customers because then they're financially responsible but they could lock it up for a couple days without really incurring any, any issues um, so they might be willing to you know sway a vote on proof of stake but with proof of burn they would actually have to destroy that capital uh, for VHP in order to get the votes so it's a lot harder to get exchanges to cooperate on that because the the time frame for turning your VHP back into coin when there's a lot of coin that's been burned is a long time. So they would be responsible to their customers in a way that they wouldn't be particularly happy about. Um, so having proof of burn prevents that kind of exchange attack. So virtual mining, we talked about that. That's the VHP power. Inflation, initially it's set to 2%. Any changes to that, whether you want it to be 4% inflation, 10% inflation, 1% inflation, whatever, that is uh, doable through a smart contract upgrade. So that would just be a um, uploading a new version, putting out a proposal through governance, and then the community would vote on it. So if there's need, if we look at uh, mining participation and say, eh, we're not enticing enough, um, enough miners, we need more people to do this, then you can put it to a vote and increase the, uh, the, the inflation rate.
And then deflation, this is that destruction of coin. Um, you're always guaranteed to get VHP turned back into coin with profit anytime you produce a block, but it takes time. So in the short term, the Coinos network and the coin token is deflationary because your coin becomes VHP and then the, the virtual supply of all coin plus all VHP is not deflationary because you're exchanging coin for VHP one for one, but the supply of coin is deflationary in the short term. And then inflation turns VHP back into coin and it'll be inflationary over time. Um, so one thing to, to support this that Coinos does is with randomness. Uh, and if you've built anything like a game on Ethereum, you know that coming up with a verifiable random number is not particularly easy. You need to go to like Chainlink so that people can't game uh, your, your, your randomness, right? So that means that you're paying additional costs just to produce a random number. Now you have to really be careful with your design um, to not incur too much cost and it, it gets messy. With Coinos, there's a verifiable random function built into the chain and they use it for uh, producing the blocks and, and for ensuring uh, fairness across all the different producers that are trying to win coin and produce blocks. Um, but basically this VRF, verifiable random function, runs on every block. So if you want a random number, you just grab the number, it's there. So that's a pretty cool uh, side effect of the way they built uh, the, the proof of burn algorithm. All right, so moving down a little bit. Ah, yes, so mining pools. This is a, a really cool design. Um, so with proof of work chains, if you wanna get miners to participate together and basically share in the, the effort and the profit, um, it, it basically centralizes the, the blockchain, right? Because you have uh, people putting in real money to a person, and then that person buys more computers, and then they run more electricity, and then they take a portion of the profits that come out and they issue to, to people. But it's really like an individual that is responsible for all of that. With Coinos, Mining pools look very different. So I've actually built uh, the first burn pool contract on Coinos, and you can find it here, Luca Willis slash Coinos burn pool on GitHub. Welcome to take a look at it. Welcome to steal it for your own purposes. It's all open source. Um, the the mining pool is uh, it's all in a smart contract, and people deposit their coin um, just like you would with like a staking pool, and then that coin is all managed within the contract. So coin gets burned for VHP. Um, as the, the operator of the pool, I run a computer that uh, produces blocks and wins coin for the VHP uh, that's held by, the, by that contract, but it's all on chain. So while I'm the operator running the node, I don't have like custody of the the actual hardware and the actual money off-chain. Off it's all held in a decentralized smart contract. So that is a, a really cool design um, that allows us to have decentralized mining pools on proof of burn. 
So it also means that if you don't want to figure out how to do, how to run a computer with the software and how to secure the network and how to you know, maximize your uptime and reburn coin for VHP as it's produced and maximize your profit and vote on governance proposals and all these things, all you have to do is deposit coin in a contract and then withdraw it when you're done. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's pretty cool that you can have a better experience and still participate in proof of burn and get access to the profits of the network without needing to be particularly te technically savvy. Um, the fact that VHP is a fungible token allows for increased liquidity. So we talked about how you can do a swap on, um, on a Uniswap type contract for VHP to coin or VHP to anything else really. Um, but it also allows you with the, like if you're participating in a pool, there's more rewards coming in than you would be producing as a solo miner. Um, so that means that if the pool is designed correctly, you can actually access more liquidity uh, at any given moment. So because uh, you know, if you're 1% of the pool, then the pool is gonna be generating 100 times more coin than you would be. So you could take and you know withdraw your position in the pool all as coin much easier than if you were to sit and run your computer and wait for all of your VHP to come back as coin. So it's a good way to get liquidity without losing out on, uh, on swaps. All right, um, so I wanna read this, this bit right here. Centralization resistant and provably egalitarian. With proof of burn, there are no mining rigs, just accounts holding VHP tokens. So the rate at which block rewards are paid out is entirely algorithmic. This is not only makes it infinitely customizable, but also totally resistant to hardware centralization. And that's what we're talking about here, right? It's the, the move from hardware centralization to software decentralization. So this makes proof of burn the first consensus algorithm to deliver the economics of proof of work, basically burning cash for a chance for profit, and is provably egalitarian finally delivering on Satoshi's original vision of a truly peer-to-peer -peer electronic cache that utilizes spare computational resources and does not require dedicated hardware. So you don't have to go get ASIC's crazy mining rigs and set up a warehouse in the cheapest place possible and uh, run these computers and a ton of fans and all that. All you have to do is run the, um, the block producer, the, you know, a version of Coinos on your computer uh, and it'll produce blocks. I'm running testnet right now, and it doesn't tax the system crazy uh, because it doesn't have to you know, compete on just random hashes of, of values. Your probability of producing a valid block is based on your balance of VHP. So way nicer design there in terms of uh, ease of participation. All right, decentralized governance. So this is the proposal system. When you have something that you want to change at the system level, all you do is upload a new version of the contract and you propose that upgrade. And making a proposal, I believe, costs 100 coin. So <laughs> you don't want to just go around proposing uh, random things. It's expensive to do over time. So when you make a proposal, there is a review period where no votes are cast and then 
a, a voting period. And I believe the review period is like two weeks and the voting period is like two weeks. And uh, during that voting period, the all the votes that come in are on the blocks that are produced. So if you're running a node and you're producing blocks, then what you're doing is you're saying with every block you produce, either no or yes on every proposal that is active. And so by default, you say no. And if you specifically configure your node to say yes on any proposals, then that is a vote for it. And the the percentage that actually needs to pass, um, I wanna say it's like 60% of the blocks produced during the voting period have to say yes on, on any proposal. And then you can also upgrade the governance system itself because that is a smart contract. So updates to governance require, I think it's a 75%, yeah, 75% supermajority. Um, so if you wanna make a proposal to upgrade the governance contract, you're gonna to need to get a lot more people on board uh, versus if you just wanna upgrade, up, upgrade um, some other part of the system. Um, but yeah, you can use this for upgrading anything. You can change uh, how much mana gets spent on things. You can, um, you can, <laughs> you can really change anything at the system level. Uh, but for most people, what you're doing with your DApps, um, you don't really have to care about this because this is all just the the management of the network itself and the system level permissions and and that sort of thing. So unless you're running your own node, you don't really have to keep up with this because all the votes happen with block production. And that's one of the benefits of participating in a mining pool uh, or a burn pool is that you you don't necessarily have to care what the vote is. You're you're using the, the mining pool operator as your delegate. So by participating in a mining pool, you're saying, I trust that this person is going to vote with my uh, my VHP, what I'm lending them for voting power, and they're going to vote in my best interest. Uh, and you can, you know, if it's a, a good mining pool operator, they'll tell you what their votes are going to be. They'll explain what the proposals are. And if you disagree, then you can just withdraw your VHP or your coin and move over to another pool or run your own for the duration of that vote. And so you have options. Uh, it's a very fluid design. Um, as a democracy, you can you can take your voting power and use it yourself, or you can delegate it to somebody else and you know decide to change that at any moment. So it's a really nice design there. So that is Coinos. Um, we could probably get into a lot more detail than this, but those are really the the good high points on Coinos. And uh, timeline-wise, going forward, we have the snapshot which will take that coin erc20 token on the ethereum network and take a picture of all the wallets that uh, are currently holding the coin token and then that's going to be used for the genesis data that spins up with the coinos mainnet um, so that's going to happen on october 31st or a little after but what that means is if you're somebody who is uh, not holding your coin in a wallet where you have access to uh, the seed phrase or the private key, um, then you need to get that coin somewhere where you have full control over it. Um, so if you're a liquidity provider on the Uniswap contract, you're gonna wanna pull that ahead of October 31st. If you are, um, if you're, 
if you have your coin over on a different network for some reason if it was bridged over to bsc i think there was a few coin over there um, i think there was even some coin on hive uh, then you're going to want to get that back over to ethereum ahead of october 31st um, but yeah for the majority of coin that's out there this shouldn't be an issue um, so just be aware of what wallet you're using and make sure that you have access to the uh, the recovery phrase so that you can use that to claim your new coin on the new network. And then after October 31st, don't bother trying to buy any coin on Ethereum because it's not good anymore. That snapshot is gonna be the point in time when, uh, when coin is moving over to the new network. And there's gonna be some delay, so there's not gonna be any trading activity after that snapshot. So if you see anybody trying to sell you coin in November, uh, don't buy it. <laughs> that's a bad idea. Uh, and don't go around trying to sell your coin to other people because that's akin to, to scamming people. All right, so that is the Coinos white paper. What questions do you have? Was this useful? Did you like this kind of episode? Um, be happy to have some feedback, so let me know what you think, and uh, I'll talk to you on the next one. Hope to see you soon. Bye for now.